0: folks thank you for tuning into another episode of bucks america podcast i am your host jeff vance tonight i have the very interesting man that's got to be able to become be a, a social media giant before it was social media is what we were talking about prior to hitting record here so dirk stark has really has a fine a bulletproof resume of going through the ins and outs and developing and building brands and bringing them scaling them up to to point where they are now inner households and such, especially for the outdoor world. And Dirk has got a, a very respectable uh, legacy that he's really matured over the last 30 to 35 years. And he really cultivates his brands as everything he's worked with. And oddly enough, Dirk and I have, have crossed paths, but never actually crossed paths because we have mutual people that we know that have actually been kind of a... a Makes the world very small considering we right. were only, li- I only live in West Salem and he lives up in Minneapolis. So we're not that far apart. And we're, he is currently on site at uh, Hell's Canyon uh, Outfitters and he's got a couple of people in camp and out there turkey hunting. And luckily for him, he missed all the snow. We ended up getting 17 and a half inches of snow here in West Salem. And then it went all the way up to high as 20 inches just over by Eau Claire. And then just further south in the lower, south, like pretty Shane, but we're probably looking at like four, three or four oh. inches of snow. So we it just oh. ran and we go from 90 degrees to 17 inches of snow.
1: Oh man. I'm so ready to be done with that. Aren't you?
0: Oh, I, I am. I am. I took a picture outside just to put it on my Facebook feed. So this way as a reminder It's like, we're not out of the woods yet.
1: I know it's just, it's just this. It's been a battle this year. It's been a battle that winter has for sure but hey thank you for having me on i i appreciate it very much um again i'm not i'm just an average guy that has been (laughs) doing this stuff for 30 years and um and really been fortunate to meet a lot of great people but you know as we all do you know we've i made mistakes during my time period and learned from them and i think if you're not learning you're not growing and if you know it's i tell a lot of people it's not what i know it's just who i know and if i don't know something i'm calling up some people to 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 learn more and stuff and so yeah i've been uh, it's crazy to look back that i've been doing it since 19 really 91 maybe 92 Mm -hmm. Mm so yeah it's been a while (laughs) it's been a while (laughs) so So, we'll
0: we'll get to that i want to find out like you've been an outdoorsman your entire life so why don't we go back to the early years because you're from minnesota aren't you correct
1: I am, yeah, yeah, Alexandria, and actually, that's where I'm back into Alexandria. And, yeah, and uh, I think about it now because you know, 90%, ninety percent, ninety, ninety nine percent of what I do is all archery, and um, so it started really with bull fishing. And even before that, um, I was probably eight years old, and and there was these damn carp that would always come through the culvert in the lake, and. And I would be running around with this big metal, stain, you know, spear as a little eight-year-old. You know, you're weighing about 20 pounds or 30 pounds and trying to loft the spear out of the carp. You know, I get a few, but I I missed a lot. But I was just bound and determined. And my grandpa came to me he said one day, hey, Derek, let's go to Fleet Farm. I saw this thing in Fleet Farm. Let's go get it. So I'm like, okay. So we went and we bought a black bear two bowl with a bow fishing kit on it. Man, son, I was old. (laughs) I was shooting carp like crazy at eight years old. And, you know, then started, you know, shooting bows and shooting birds and getting that scenario, you know, that have you ever seen that, those those wire loops. And I was shooting birds and chipmunks and everything else. I mean, and eventually I got into um, making arrows and had a friend of mine give me a whole bunch of traditional stuff and making cedar arrows. And I was shooting recurves and I... You know, as a kid, a second story house in town, you're not supposed to really shoot your bow in town. But back in the 80s, um, you'd throw bread out or you'd throw stuff out and the squirrels would come out there or the ducks would fly in and you'd shoot. (laughs) I'd be up in my bedroom window, shooting through the window and sticking them to the ground. (laughs) right? And uh, I was I just I love bow hunting. It's just so fun and so shooting. So that's that's really where it started with was being able to bow fish. And then, uh, my dad's been a shotgun hunter and we, you know, we deer hunted and did that kind of thing. You know, one weekend in Minnesota and that was kind of it. And we'd pheasant hunt and duck hunt and, and stuff, but not really hard. Um, and, uh, it wasn't until, you know, later in life that I just got addicted to the bow hunting, bow hunting turkeys and bow hunting deer and, and antelope. Antelope really became a passion of mine. And, um, doing that and that's it, it's really about the chase i have actually a shirt because i'm like I, we told you jokingly that i've never been a guide outfitter. I, i'm not a great shot and i don't kill big stuff but i have a t-shirt that says if the arrows ain't flying there ain't no dying <laughs> <laughs> very so, true so you know it's some people i have really big egos about their stuff and I, it's just a lot of fun and you know every tuesday night there's about five or six of us that get together and we shoot trad bows. So we, we've we got probably 40 targets, some are spinner targets, some are on zip lines, some are aerials, and we shoot anywhere from five yards to 75 yards with trad stuff. And no one keeps score, it's just about encouraging, teaching, oh, you know, you didn't pull back, you didn't anchor it, you know, just helping each other out and, and shooting and that instinctive mind and that brotherhood of the bow and just, it that's so much healthier I think than sometimes we get into this, oh, I've gotta be shooting X's at a hundred yards and I don't know. It's it kinda takes the fun out of it for me. I, I like being social, you know, like this
0: be i like the casual aspect of it all too when i when i go do the 3d events i i keep score for me but it's like i'm mostly just kind of counting my head it's like getting that encouragement of that i'm putting the arrow in a vital zone because mm-hmm. in the real world i am not looking at a 14 i'm not, i'm looking at a heart shot it's like it's all I'm right. looking for that's why uh like a lot of people really appreciate brian austin his beast mode games is that mm-hmm. he doesn't do points he just does did you hit in the vitals was it a body shot mm-hmm. and that's right. it which is is, which is a good way to get your your mind ready right. to being in the
1: element right right and also i think you know taking away that anxiety i mean i struggled for probably two or three years with with target panic and just fighting it fighting and jumping it, oh it was horrible I was ready to almost give up because it just beat me up and i just started having fun actually i started shooting slingshot um you know a wrist rocket and and it just got me to relax and have fun and just practice on form and and go back and start and shoot trad bow again and that really, really helped a lot.
0: I bet that's a probably good way to to move past target panic. Knock on wood. I've I've been shooting archery now for seven eight years. I have not gotten target panic, but maybe it's my mindset that I put myself into when I'm going out there just to have fun and not to take it over mm-hmm. seriously. Because I can see that doing, especially like when you're a competitive person, especially in sales oh. or or anytime, they could really get in your minds and you can get, create just giving create yourself only having the yips. Like I was talking to my buddy Seth. He's uh, I don't know if you met him. He's uh, no Skip and and Brent. He is actually one that introduced me to Brent. Is that he used to suffer from target panic, and what he ended up doing was he started shooting at a big target like a like a bale, and then he moved yeah. to a plate, and then he just kind of slowly got back into yeah. it to to kind of yeah. sh- sh- uh, brush away all of the mental anguish right. that he went through because he would take it too seriously. He'd, he'd pull himself out of the element of just being fun.
1: Right, right. That and you know, like Levi and Morgan. I watched a video from Levi one time. And he, he does this thing when he sights in his bow. He puts a horizontal line um, first to get the yardages, right? And and so really all you're doing is you're focusing on a real long, thick uh, horizontal line. And you're just getting close to that, closer and closer and closer. You're not worried about left and right at all. And then you go to a vertical line and, and tighten your group up with your vertical on. And then you can go to your dot, you know? But it makes it so much more fun and forgiving that you're not oh damn I miss damn I miss because you're just you've got a line to shoot at oh I'm getting closer I'm getting closer and just much more positive
0: now uh when you were when you start first started out bow hunting stuff like that did you When did you take your first what was your one of your fondest memories of bow hunting whether would it would be like if uh, bow fishing or bow hunting for a white tail or a pheasant or a duck
1: oh man it's um I guess bow fishing as a kid was just a blast. I spent hours and hours running over this culvert back and forth this lake. And, you know, sometimes seeing um, carp come through that were 40 plus pounds. I mean, they look like a telephone pole coming through that thing. And you'd stick one in there, and, and all of a sudden they just run out of your spool. And all of a sudden you're nodding, going like, that was, that was like boby Dick, <laughs> you know? I mean, I think memories like that happen because you, you'd stick them right in the head and they just keep like, going. Nothing happened, right? Or, you know, um, I shot my first deer with the bow. It was a, a recurve out at um, a friend of mine's who was a big conservationist on his private land. And and I shot that with a recurve at like, you know, 30 yards and still have that uh, XX75 game getter aluminum arrow that's bent from that hard shot on that thing, you know? Um, yeah, or, or shooting a turkey at three feet and, you know, stick, tipping it over and sticking to the ground. It's just things, I don't know. It's not always about the size of the rack. It's about the experience, you know?
0: That is, that is very true. Like the, the, we have, I have a story behind this one and I'm sure you have a Mm -hmm. mountain of stories. Do you, what was some of your major lessons you learned while you're out bow hunting?
1: (laughs) Sit still. (laughs)
0: you you get you get ocd too it's like you want or you get adhd it's like i want to get up to walk around
1: right right (laughs) man oh they're not here five minutes what i gotta go i gotta get them i'm gonna chase them down (laughs) right that's that's a big thing to be able to sit and find that calmness in the woods you know now i can go out here on the ranch and man i'll just sit there and glass and listen to the wind and maybe it's just getting older but um that that's a big thing um I guess appreciating the time and the friends, you know, we talked about this as well out out here at ranch, man. I I love to have people out and just experience this together and show them things that you know most people won't ever see on a piece of twenty thousand acres that has really been untouched, you know. So that's the hunt and camp and all that stuff is so much fun. So, that's good.
0: That's that's pretty neat to hear that, hear about that. So. Tell us about the. So, did you go to school for marketing, or did you just naturally gravitate to it back in the early nineties?
1: Um, you know, I think I started my first marketing when I was probably about five or six. Um, I, I wanted to raise money, and there was this highway that went by, and so I'd catch crayfish and frogs and night crawlers, and I'd put a cardboard sign out there: "Crayfish for sale, night crawlers for sale," and I would sell it already at that age, you know. Um, but really. Um, I went to school to be an art major and making ceramic pots and glass blowing. That wasn't gonna make a lot of money doing that, right? Uh, but I started, um, after I got married, I read an article about making wing bone calls. And I thought, oh, man, that's kind of cool. I used to make arrows and stuff. And actually, at that time, I was also restoring bamboo fly rods from the 20s and 30s. And so you were winding them and doing that kind of stuff. So my first circuit calls, actually, I used the hook keeper of a fly rod to make the lanyard, and I would wrap them with, uh, started out with thread, and then I would use, started, figured out a way to use copper wire and silver wire. And so I started a call business called Custom Wing Bones by Dirk. Originally it was called Wild Wings, Wing Bone Calls, but there was some company that called me and said I need to do a cease and desist, (laughs) right, (laughs) right? Hey,
0: at least you're getting noticed.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it didn't help that Dave Tyree and I actually were outside the Wisconsin State Convention, and Wild Wings was inside the convention. We were both too poor to buy a booth. So we sat outside and the calls right outside the booth, right outside the convention. And and uh lo and behold, I got to see some sales. So I had to change the name, but really that that got me going for 20 plus years. I made um wing bone calls and did seminars on call making and turkey calling in, in Wisconsin, Minnesota. And that just introduced me to the industry. Um I, I got on a pro staff back with Scentlock um, and buckwing decoys and Heydell game calls. And e- eventually, um, uh, a brand called commando game calls, um, asked me, Hey, we need a pro staff manager back then. And we had no one. And, and so I added, um, you know, Brenda Valentine, Alex Rutledge, and we made a line of calls for each of them. And then there was some gallant called Jana Waller, um, <laughs> came on. And so I introduced her really to the outdoor industry. Um, and got her going to the TV and stuff like that. Um, a fun group of people, Nancy Joe Adams, uh, outdoor writer down, uh, down south, and um, a lot of great people. We had a, built a really fantastic team with that. And then this guy came along and said, Hey, there, my, my brother's uh, vice president of NWTF, but we're going to start this new energy shot called Strut and Rudd Energy Shots. And it's back kind of by Greg Goose and Jagermeister. He said, you put together a team and, and do some launching for that? I'm, sure, we got a team, let's roll. And so we launched the Strutt and Red Energy Shots. And so I launched that brand and we got that going. And eventually it was sold to another beverage company, but that was kind of a wild ride. And um, another guy approached me, um, Chris Rager. Um, he had sold Trophy Ridge and Rocket Arrow broadheads to Bear Archery, and he was starting up a new broadhead company called Flying Arrow Archery. And so he said, Dirk, let's, let's do this. And so I helped launch Flying Arrow Archie with Chris Rager, um, and Elementary Rose. <laughs> we did that. And then, um, I met this young kid, um, back in Wisconsin. His name was Ben Stern. And that may, that name may, may ring a bell and he had this little cylindrical thing that took video and pictures off your gun or both. And, um, uh, and so he said, hey, let's, I got this partner, let's do this. And we started doing some marketing for it. And, and I started getting adult TV shows and Bone Collector and Hal Schaefer with Drop Zone and Jay Gregory and different folks. And then we launched Tacticam. Yeah, yeah Tacticam <laughs> is only so, just down the road in Caledonia. Right, right. And so they've moved around a lot and, you know, they've, they got a little too big for me because I'm, you know, I'm not into all the hardcore stuff. If, if they get too big. We'll pass them on to their brand. So I passed them to Jeff Bergman, a good friend of mine, Providence Marketing. Um, that, you know, he was doing stuff for G5 and Cuddyback. And he was vice president of Mountain for years. And so I said, Jeff, you know what? This might be too big for me. Roll with it, Betty. And I think, I don't know. I He and Jeff has asked me for help back and forth and things. And I think if you know what you're good at and you're, where your limits are, yeah, it helps out a lot. And um, that was... Uh, you know, I, I don't know, it was interesting to be a part of that and then just a lot of different things. Um, uh, the first pattern for Sitka and Cryptech was uh, a pattern called Mothwing Camouflage. So I got involved with them and helped do the licensing for them and pro us and, and um, what else did we do? Oh, Commando Game Calls, we got into, we sold to Bastro and Cabello, so I, I started learning the sales side of it too. In the back inside, but I didn't go to school for anything. I was an art major, you know, for crying out loud. But between my own calls and learning that stuff, um it's one of those things you just learn. And if you if you don't know, you ask questions, you do some research, and that that's how you do it. But I don't know. How about you? How about podcasts? I mean Did you go to school for that? No, actually I
0: didn't. Well, I went to school for video game design back in the early two thousands. And then I realized it wasn't for me because it's like there wasn't very a whole lot of social interaction. You supposedly spent anywhere between ten to twelve hours in front of a computer screen. And it just didn't really didn't jive for me. So I went and did a whole bunch of sales jobs and it's like it was fun. It was okay, but it wasn't really geared towards what I like to do. And then I bounced around and from the from southwest and moved and then moved to back up here right after the the crash of 08 and Mm -hmm. you know kind of bounced around Iowa for a period of time to figure out what was going on and it wasn't until like 20 uh 2015 is when I met my girlfriend now my wife now and uh, she we I told her I want to do something that is going to be fun and exciting like I like I like the idea of podcasting because I I I could talk fairly fairly well sometimes I'll eat my own words but it is what it is and with that, we just started learning how to do it. I just went onto YouTube and I started, I rec, I went to YouTube and learned how to do all the editing through audacity because there's a lot mm-hmm. of tutorials out there. And when you, you're, you're not really getting an edge over anything else. It's just like, they're all pretty competitive when you're talking down to it. And the only people who are going to hear the difference are audio engineers like myself and other ones that are right. just, it has a really good amount of talent because you can, you can hear those fine things. Uh, then getting into the marketing aspect of it, I just kind of took off with um, the company Bucks of America. It's ran by Cody Neer, and he start he does he's pretty big into dropshipping, e commerce. I mean, he really knows how to build a brand. I mean, he really made a foothold for himself working for Target and really developing credibility and how to market Target and bringing it from a twenty five million dollar budget and bringing over three hundred and fifty million. So it's like he was able Crazy. to just work with that, understood the, everything, and then. I got introduced to him in 2016 and it's like let's do let's like hey it's like we all kind of like kind of, it was kind of like a referral thing we just kind of built from right. there and i got referred to him as like i do i sell clothing and i want to build a brand in wisconsin that's where you're at and then we just went from there and it was it was very fun it was bef- back before uh, meta became all very nickel and diming you where you in order right. to get your great gain an audience you have to you, you had to pay for it now back then it's like you it wasn't uncommon to hit a couple right. of viral um posts and boom right you can, you can. but that's the thing you know you don't know what viral content is until it hits right uh, and right. with the podcast it's like i've been i'm at over 100 almost 170 episodes now and right. i just really enjoy doing it. i get to, i've gotten to get to meet you uh let's see chris ham ben klausman uh Stuart holmes what else johnny yeah, mulligan sure. Let's see here. Oh, and Brent Schmidt and uh, Skip Peterson. I mean, these yeah. these guys are icons in the world, and it's like just little old me from Iowa. It's like it's amazing. All it comes that I got a fancy jersey, and I got all these cool sponsors here. So right. it's it's fun to work with. And I got I work with all pretty much all uh, based in America companies. So this way, that's yeah. like they're 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 keeping jobs in America essentially, right. and I get to talk to a lot of big like people that have been just. Put timing and talent together and to shoot some big bucks. Like I had, I had uh, uh, Orlando Vivone and he shot the freak nasty out of Iowa this past season. Mm-hmm. I mean that one ninety five, just weird looking wow. rack. It's just right. absolutely stunning, and he is the most humble down-to-earth guy and such and he's 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 out there killing he shot his shot his uh bird opening day down there in iowa here Mm -hmm. just last week so he's just out there just doing what he does and getting to meet uh, jake mansell and i got to interview him when we talked about yukon i mean that was just 183 Mm -hmm. just absolute massive and then getting to be the first one to talk to Chris Ham about Houdini. I mean, that was a fun story to talk about and mm-hmm. and talk about the history that he had about it. So it's like, you get to experience this, this history that not everybody gets to talk about. And right. I'm putting it out there on the, on the World wide web and get people to listen to it overseas in, mm-hmm. uh, Ireland and uh, Japan and Saudi Arabia. And like, a, and, uh, what is it? One of my biggest, uh, followings in, in the, in the, uh, in Europe is in Dublin, Ireland. Plus, I got a few people from Russia that listen to the podcast too. It's wow. like, hey, I'm not going to tell anybody no, but it also comes down to streaming your podcast on the right software too. So I do right. I do all my hosting through SoundCloud. SoundCloud is based oh, sure. in Germany, so it's like, well, I know I'll get an American audience. How right. do I capture a European audience? So I was like, well, let's right. just put my podcast over there. I'll let the algorithm do its thing, and went from there.
1: Hmm. Crazy, crazy. Yeah, there's a lot of hunters, archery hunters in Scandinavia and Finland and Sweden. Um, So we sell a lot of products there. So it's kind of fun to to hear that. So, yeah, interesting. Yeah, the techie side of it, I have a master's degree in teaching technology, but that was in, what, in year 2000. So 23 years ago, I got a master's degree now that, you know, most high school kids have already figured out. You know, so the technology stuff is crazy. That of what what I was learning then now is just gone, you know?
0: True. Everything evolves so rapidly. So it's like I belong to a couple of podcast groups where we talk about techs and trips and what people are using and like Rogue Road. uh, uh, I don't know what it's just Road. um, of uh, their whole entire product My, like with the mics and stuff like that the mics, well, yeah. yeah they're dropping seven new products this year alone with different things yeah, from, from like a new board one
1: of those that, that hooks into your your iphone yeah iPhone,
0: so i've seen yep. that
1: uh, yeah i'd love to do that i mean how many of us now that create content 90 95 is all coming from your iphone i mean you set your stuff on 4k and you're golden yeah,
0: exactly. You go into your frame rate and you switch to make sure that's yeah. 60. So when, when you yeah. condense it down and you, and you filter it to basic whatever um, ratios you're putting it on, you're yeah. still going to be able to have a good um, quality rate from it all too. Right. Yeah, road, right. is, road is doing a fantastic job of stuff and it's like they're Fairly competitive price, I mean, 300 bucks for a set, yeah. and then you just gotta keep right. adding to that mic, and that's the best part about that, you buy your initial investment, then just keep on adding everything else on top of it, really adds in. Right. Behringer has a fantastic job, Sure microphones, that's what I use. Like, the SM58S is what I'm using right here, and this is specifically designed for outdoor environments not indoor. Okay. And it just, it's it's
1: got the, I see it's got that whisker guard on it too.
0: It does. I, it's at the pop (laughs) filter and such. So it adds in that extra level. And then you also, so I, just kind of growing from there. It's like, that's the best part about it. It's like some of the microphones really hasn't changed a whole lot. It all depends on how much money you want to spend, but you can right. find some great quality microphones for right on there. Then you also have lavalier mics too that Sherbert produces, Road produces. Mm-hmm. So it all comes down to what your initial investment is. But when I tell somebody that's getting into the into this right here, don't cheap out on a mic buy a good mic and then just slowly work your way up to getting a nice soundboard but stick with an xlr because you're going to have a better sound quality overall and usb or excuse me yeah usb3 audio it's you're not going to like it once you hear it you're going to recognize why most people that are in the podcasting realm or audio realm in general they'll use an xlr mic
1: and you're an audiophile Uh, completely on it because I'm kind of that way with video and, and photos because I get all these people that send me pictures and videos of their, of their kills. Right. Or, or here's a picture of me and my bowl. Right. Right. And I'm like, Oh no, Oh no, please just read up or Google about shooting stuff because you know, they think, well, if I send you that, can't you just edit it and make it better? And I'm thinking, no, it, it takes
0: a lot of work. You
1: can't, you can't make a bad photo good, or a bad video good if it has horrible light, horrible sound. You you can't fix it. You just, it's not worth it. So take the time, learn how to check your background. I mean, right here, I, here's a bad example. I've got the, the light going, yeah, I mean, the, right? The, yeah, the and,
0: flare, yeah, yep.
1: Yeah. And so I'm trying to, okay, how do we do this, adjust this, right? Cause it's like, oh, it's bugging me, but you know, it is what it is. It's camp right yeah but exactly it's also yeah but it's also light you know i just i hate when your color your, your photos don't have rich photo that it's just too too bright or too dark and or a composition you've got you know like a coffee pot in the background or a garbage can over here right so little things like that if you're going to be content creator you know, do some composition. Obviously, I went to art school, so I have some of that stuff about the composition, about mm-hmm. thirds and and stuff. But do some research about that because it's going to make such a big difference. If you want to grow your brand, you produce decent stuff that other people can use because you you just don't want to send it in and go, oh, look at me, and th- they can't use it because it's not just doesn't it's and it doesn't take an expert. It doesn't take a $10,000 camera. It just takes, Hey, just pay, pay attention to the light, pay attention to the background, whatever. So, or pay attention to the audio.
0: Yeah, exactly. Right. That's why if you, if you, were, if you read through my, my zoom invite, I put in there a disclaimer, like, please decorate your background. So this way, when I have yeah. a lot of people have, I really adapt to reading it. Cause I do put in there, like if they want to have a cooking recipe, cause I do do a, cooking episode for Fridays, if it's this way, then it brings into, so if you listen to a Friday afternoon, you have an opportunity to cook something.
1: That's exactly why I have the kitchen here, right? Yeah. As as, as, As the lead in, right? (laughs) that's
0: exactly what that's you know it's like it's amazing when people i've had people that read it some people that don't and like the best part is like i've had some really good conversations like some of my my favorite conversations was sitting down with uh brandon waddell and like under learning that he used to work for a one-star michelin restaurant and he's just a guy that could really put some good stuff together and it's had all the training to go from it and same with um uh, Jeremy Critchfield from hunt shaft. I mean, these guys is like, I totally was like, do you know how cool it'd be? If both of you guys would put together a charity hunt or a charity fest mm-hmm. for everybody, for a plate, for some type of, uh, uh, a veteran community thing or someone, something that would give back to the community. Just, but, but to have the fact that having these two greats here that have right. been cooking for 20 plus years to have these in a, you get these two guys in a kitchen and whipping up something would be just fantastic.
1: Right. Right. I, I really want to get wild chef here or Andrew Zimmer, you know, Andrew Zimmer from outdoor channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mitch is a good friend of mine. I'm like, bring Andrew out here, man. I Let's get him cooking some antelope or some wild Turkey or some rattlesnake or even some porcupine we can get, you know, uh, or some, I can get some crayfish out of here and let's, let's have a crazy kind of fun, you know, out, out, outdoor dinner here out here at the ranch. But um, so yeah, it's, yeah, I, I love cooking. I didn't used to. I was like a guy that meat and potatoes only, no vegetables and stuff. And I worked at a really nice restaurant down along the Mississippi River for almost 10 years. And they started me out pouring beer because I, I didn't know how to mix a drink. I wasn't a bartender. Pretty soon I'm a bartender. And I'm running a wine list and picking out, we had about 250 wines on our wine list. And I learned about, you know, lamb leg and sea bass and all this kind of crazy stuff. And and so now, like last, well, this morning we had um, um, French toast, but we did a, a pre, um, like we did it the night before, and we had blueberry, fresh blueberries in it. We had cream cheese, French toast, and we put it in a pan and baked it, and then I made a blueberry glaze for it, and then fresh thick-cut bacon. Man, it was so good. Tonight we're having fajitas on the thing. Last night we had big steaks. So man, when we people come out here, we like
0: to eat <laughs> it's a way to be uh, same thing when, when I got fish camp coming up in right. in a month in a month we're going to Okaboji for five days and one of the fish one of the guys with us, he's a chef and he we yeah. each eat, well put it this way we all the guys we have with us are extremely talented and, and all different aspects we have one guy that just cooks a meat steak we have another person that does really good uh f- deep fry whether it be fish or onion rings or mushrooms or whatever you got going on mm-hmm. and then we have another guy that does a fantastic job with chicken so it's everybody has a chance to uh add to the overall element of the of the group and the culture of the whole thing and besides because uh, in the while those guys are cooking everybody else is flaying up fish like this past right. uh october i mean we we caught between nine of us like 500 fish and a lot of them were yellow bass and stuff like so right. it's something that you can catch a lot of and uh, right. the dnr in iowa don't care about so It's just, but it's just, we're all of us are doing something just to kind of speed up the whole process. So, well, so we have one guy cleaning up all the carcasses. We have another guy cleaning up all of the fillets. We have another guy passing out the beer and it's like, it's just, it's just a a fun time to be around with a bunch of guys. I mean, I think the most wildest time we had, we had to like 17, 17 guys in camp and man, it was just, it was a blast. It was a hoot. Right. Do you cook
1: with morels a lot down there?
0: Uh the guys that, I've, that I fish with, they don't cook, they don't, nobody has the time to, well, we're already, we're, we're, our our trip is early May, so oh. a lot of the morels haven't matured yet until, yet. yeah, right. up, yeah right. exactly. Yeah. So sometimes in the uh, fall one, some people yeah. may bring some morels, but they're kind of, right. most people are kind of stingy with it just because the amount of energy right. you have to go to grab them.
1: Right. We have a world fortune. We have a, a whole bunch of chanterelles at our place in the fall, in July and August. And Mm -hmm. so, I mean, I may pick 50, 60 gallons of chanterelles and I freeze them and then I bring them out here to camp. So we're having fresh chanterelle mushrooms all the time with steak or chicken, man, uh, there's or or the big chicken in the woods, but I mean, big chicken in the woods, but I I like chanterelles so much. I mean, they're like a morel for me in the fall.
0: Oh, I bet that you gotta be fantastic. I have a, I, there's a guy that, uh, I get my, my beard oil him and, and beard ball from, and he is he knows his stuff when it comes down to, to uh, herbs and spices and mushrooms out mm-hmm. in the wilderness. So I, right. I had a buddy of mine from Idaho. He sends me a picture. He's like, do you know what this mushroom is? But I told him I don't, but I know a guy that does. And so I sent it to him. He's like, do you know what this is? And within a matter of hours, he already had it. Like, this is what you do to cook it up. This is how you prepare it. Yeah. And I already sent it to him. It's like, all right, I'm passing it on to him so you can go and enjoy it. So,
1: Yeah, we love, like, northern Minnesota in the fall, you can go up there. And I have pictures of, like, hundreds of different kinds of mushrooms, and I had to get the app that you just scan it and tells you if it's safe to eat or not. And yeah, there's some really cool ones. And even some of the really cool ones are really nasty to eat, but they're just gorgeous, and they make really cool photographs. <laughs> so, <laughs> we used to do it right? And there's one called a, like a inky something. Um, what the hell? It it's really it goes up in 24 hours, and it's gone. And it, it's kind of like cooking an octopus because it's just inky. You I mean, And when you cook it, it just – it's like a black ink to it almost. So but that's kind of crazy. And there's all sorts of, you know, puff balls. You never got those big giant puff balls and you cut those up and make lasagna out of them. I've so, heard those
0: are delicious. Uh, especially yeah. when you when they hit in June. I have not I've yeah. seen um uh, Babe Winkleman. He's the one I actually yeah. found out about puff balls from Babe. Well there's, and, there's
1: little ones, right? Yeah. And then there's the big ones that get like a giant loaf of bread.
0: I've, I haven't seen the big ones. I've always seen the little small ones. Stuff like but uh, yeah. after learning what he is, sometimes I'll get I'll get to him too late. And they've already right, started right. to turn color. So I was like, well, I can't eat him now because I don't want to risk yeah. anybody getting sick.
1: Yeah, I've got some that have been like size of basketballs. That is impressive. I mean, it, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. I know well, but oh well. Yeah, we could talk food all the time. I'm <laughs> getting kind of hungry thinking about it.
0: <laughs> I even I even haven't had dinner yet myself. It's like my wife and yeah. I were just kind of nibbling and such. So, getting back to how yeah. did you create start start growth?
1: Yeah, so I um like I said I was back in the pro staff days and I was pro staffing for a rep group, sales rep group. And you know, every year reps get new brands. It's just what they do. And I was like, okay, well, I'm with this brand now and this brand, but I like that brand, you know? And um, I, I finally said to myself, you know what? I'm just going to pick brands that I want to work with and approach them. And, you know, first of all, it, this is kind of a foreign subject to a lot of influencers these days. I went out and actually bought the product first and then took pictures and did reviews and things like that before I became a pro staffer. Instead of, Hey, send me some free staff stuff, and I'll. Do That's that.
0: exactly right. This this is everything right here. It, like Lakewood, Lakewood's my newest uh, uh, partnership with, and I've been yeah. shoot. I've been using their products for a while, and it's like uh, my buddy. Nate, Nate and Seth—they told me like, hey, you should go apply to become a brand ambassador. So like, all right, filled it all out, and then I get an email from Sarah. It's like, hey, you've been approved. Like, sweet. Then I got the chance to meet her, and man, it's just—it's been fun this year. Like every year, that I've seen growth in my whole brand, and it's just fantastic. I've been very humble and and very blessed with everything that's kind of worked out. It's like I just keep going, man. I just don't want to quit because it's like there's always a new story that I want to capture.
1: Right right? No, it's it's fun stuff. You know, it's just, I don't know. I I think that's the hardest thing that kind of irks me for a guy who's been doing it for 30 years is the people that just have their hand out and say, Hey, send me, you know, send me a $400 crossbow and I'll make a video for you. Or, or they'll say, let me test it for you. Right? Well, I'm sorry, but we've already went through two, whenever you develop a product, if you've done it right, you've done through two years of testing it First, before it even comes to market, so up, a, a brands don't need testing. <laughs> you know, it's been it's been tested already. We went through, you know, when you design products, you go through. Hey, does it work? Does it solve a problem? Can it be produced at the right price point? Is there margin for it? All that stuff. And and then you run it through the mills. Like when I designed the Nordic Legend ice fishing line, I mean, literally, I was out three years ahead before they came to product. Actually being sold of a new product that we're testing and we're developing and we're tweaking before it actually comes to product. So I think that's a hard thing when you're when you've done that and then someone says, well, let me test it. I'm like, what do you think I've been doing for the last three years?
0: For sure. Yeah, that's just how it always goes. Like we, any major brand has already been going through the R&D with the whole aspect of it. And right. by the time we're by time year one before the the first or last year before it hits the market, now they're already putting out their pro staff to test it and get their feedback from it. So whether right. it be uh, Skip from Gearhead or yeah. Kurt from expedition or uh mm-hmm. matt mcpherson from matthews these guys yeah. they're, they already have their 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 guy their go-to mm-hmm. guys they're going to provide them that accurate review and that feedback constructively to provide them like hey i'm having issues mm-hmm. with this cam lean or or i'm getting too much vibration here and it's like all these little things will do when you have conversation with your engineers right. they're going to absorb that information like they're going to take it to heart and they're going to put it back into it and when you see right. the news phase four or uh the new release that skip had this past fall mm-hmm. with the with his limb pockets and stuff it's like mm-hmm. that stuff is just, it's always cool to witness.
1: Right, right. No, it, it's, I, I love, it. you know, in the fall too, I work with the Alexandria Technical College um, with their industrial design program mm-hmm. and go in and talk to the students about designing products, you know, and they help actually do CAD drawings and 3D printing and, and, and stuff like that for my brands I actually will machine some of the products for the brands before they're even on the market. And I really talk to them about solving problems. If you're going to come to market with a new product, you really have to look at it and go, how is this going to make things better? Or, you know, for how will it improve a uh, hunter's experience or their accuracy or things like that? Correct. So, so yeah, that's, you know, like this little crossbow. I mean, I don't know if your, if your listeners can see it or watch a video, but this little ballista. I mean, it's so fun to shoot. It's you know compact. It solves that that big heaviness of crossbows. Um, it's got a cool cock cocking mechanism here that you don't need to put that string on it. And I mean, it's there's some things about it that are really really interesting that it solves the problem. Um, you know, a three strings with Brett. You know, we you know I we started talking about bow strings for bow fishing. Well bullfishing strings wear out fast because of water and UV. Well, the, the bloodline fibers have a UV inhibitor in it. They're water resistant, abrasion resistant, you know, and, and they're waxless. And so, and for me as a, you know, the loves to bullfish, any bullfisherman should think, Hey, a better string, my bow will shoot faster. And it's going to be so much more durable, especially bullfishing. You beat the crap out of your equipment. So, you know, i I love that product development side and it as people that want to get in the industry i'll just say or that want to be an influencer go about it and be respectful of brands that they put in so much time beforehand and say you know what how can i help instead of the expert let me do you know get you out there you know
0: yeah exactly that's the best way to open it up because like you, you you've mentioned before it's like they're always looking for what can i get out of you and it's like i ran into that same thing too when when we were just first doing bucks of america and then we did and i was doing bucks of uh, wisconsin as a as a as a direct line for bucks of america it, and we get all this stuff where they asking like send us some stuff we'll take it's like i went through the same thing it's like and you go to their, their page or you're doing something like, like they're not do they're not producing any value and it's like ah i right now it's like we're, we're in two different positions right now you're not I don't see anything that you've done anything else for it. And it's, I don't think we're going to, this would be a good fit at this particular time. I'm kind of curious. So how did you and Brent cross paths? Cause Brent's only been in the business for a few years and it's like his, his uh, product line has just gone through the roof. I mean, really kind of set in the new industry industry standard.
1: Oh man, it's, it's taken a lot of people off. I mean, there are a lot of people that are very upset and angry that they're saying, well, your stuff cannot do that. I mean one of my good friends that's at a, at a major bow company says, Dirk, you can't put that stuff out because I've paid engineers thousands and hundreds of tens of thousands of dollars to design this stuff. And you can't do it. I'm like I'm putting them on your bow and <laughs> it's doing it. So, you know, so it's 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 pretty crazy. But Brent and I met um I think was at um at ATA or something. I, I was working with Flex Futch and and he was asking about being a shooter or something like that, and connected, and, or through Skip, you know, it's there's so many different people connected that you and I know. Skip Peterson, Skip is hunted out here. I shoot his gearheads, good friend. Joe Maxfield, he hunts out here. I shoot his Matthews. You know, it's just, it, it's hard to sort out, and it's a great thing that we're friends because we can respect, you know, each other. Skip, if I'm shooting a picture and I've got a Matthews in there, he's, what are you doing with that? <laughs> Joel, Joel, Joel will say the same thing, or, you know, I'm hiding one of the bones when I come out here, but you know what? It's just, it's being respectful, and, and you, you know, just um, just being good friends. Um, back in the day, I mean, this is, some people are so bored or Chevy, right, about this broadhead or that broadhead or whatever, and I, I would go back to the days when we launched uh, Flying Arrow that um, Ramcat broadheads were just out, and, and Nick Albanese was with Form was a good friend of mine, actually a client of mine, and he shot Ramcat. And so we would be at a show, and and I'd be in the booth next to him with Flying Arrow, and then we'd have Ramcat right next to it. And one of us had to go to the bathroom and get some food, so the other one would cover. And, and then I'd come back, and and I'd jump in his booth because he's selling my broadheads, and I'm selling his broadheads in the booth, you know? I mean, that's what good friends, that's what this industry really should be about instead of, oh i've got the best and years of junk and you know put people down so. that is
0: that is something that i've learned with customer service you don't talk down about somebody's other product it's uh, it's not it's disrespectful because it's a small world and it's like nobody needs to have that type of negativity because not every product is going to fit everybody so it's like it's why we have like the bow hitch and you, we have the bow spider and then you also have uh oh, i can't remember that he has a i mean i can't remember the gentleman's name but well, it makes a, a similar product that allows you to carry your bows flat not everybody's gonna like each one of them it's like each one of them has a different fit but you know i am right. on my elite i have both a bow spider and a bow hitch on there because they both yeah. come in at certain times where it's like they just make sense
1: yeah i have to try that bow hitch out ben has that and talks about that i'm like oh, i used to have so many gadgets in my bow and but I, I'm looking at it going, you know, for a guy who's always glassing, it would sure be nice to have something like that to hold your bowl.
0: It is. It is very convenient. I found, like, that this yeah. this past season when I was out hunting, I had a buck hunt. Hey, I managed to
1: say, – Say hi to Dave. Hi, Dave.
0: Hey, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> so early this fall, I had – I was – walked in and it was like last 45 minutes before before it became dark yep. and i walked in there the, the thermals were in my favor and so i decided to bleed i didn't bring any calls with me but it's like typically in public land i don't typically bring calls with me because it's like well there's a lot of pressure on them so i decided, heck i'll bleed it but why what i would end up doing before i did that is i already had an arrow knocked my my release on my arrow but are on my d loop and i and i had a basically like a quick draw because it's like I've practiced where I can easily take one hand, put it on the brace, take my right hand, easily slide it off the hook and then grab my release and then get into a full draw in a matter of seconds. And it's like, but prior to that, I've already ranged everything. So this way then it's like, well, if I, if I have my pin at 23 yards, I'm going to, I'm going to have a really good flexibility with the whole aspect of it. And I've already ranged out different spots out there. So this way I know where it's going to be at. I thought that was very streamlined, but I never, I didn't get a shot. It was a a nice basket six by six or three by three. And it just, I just had too many itty bitty limbs that there's no way I'd be able to stitch. It'd be a miracle if I stitched it through, through all of them to make an ethical shot. But it was just one of those things like, Hey, this is actually pretty cool. But now if I'm, I want to actually just want to leave my bow alone and I have to help hold it. Then, yeah. I'll, then I want, but I want the weight distributed someplace else. They'll throw my bow spider, which is on my hip because right. the way, yeah, right. the way the, the puck is designed and weight hangs mm-hmm. on your belt, it actually distributes the weight around your waist a little bit easier. So this way then you can, you can literally use it as a, uh, for me, almost like a, a, a rest, a hand for a rest yeah. to a, this way I'm walking and such. So th- both of them have their pluses and minuses. And it just, that's just, I just kind of like them both. And I met, um day before I met Armando, but I've had both of them on my podcast, oddly enough, like right. really next to each other. So right there, but what I really appreciate about Armando, it's like when he came to market, Dave was the first guy to to come out and help him and, and give him suggestions yeah. and help be, become a better businessman and how, and how to pr- approach everything. Cause right. Going to these, these, um, tech events or, or math events, oh. they're intimidating. There's a lot of people there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it, it is. I mean, it's, a flatlander from minnesota and you go to those things it's like okay do i have to do 500 push-ups before i can pull my bow back (laughs) right (laughs) you know that's that's why i say i'm like "Ah, i can't do that honey i'm 55 54 i can't do 500 push-ups i'm just gonna sell things instead of shoot (laughs) you know and that's that's kind of I, i just thought about that that you and i love the gadgets you know i i love to sell things i love to develop things and i love to solve problems right I would rather sell things and come up with a solution than to. It's just, to me, that's bellows or shields. And that's like the kill for me. Um, But I love to hunt too, but man, I'm just, uh, I I love, they're the killers. I mean, there's some people that are just, they're going to go, no matter, They don't care anything. All they're doing is go, they're going to go until they kill. And that's all it is. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, have fun. Let's do this, do that. So. It it takes all kinds, I guess.
0: It does, and that's the nice thing about being where we, who we are and what we get to do, because we get to experience a lot of cool things, and we can provide our our valuable sense on on the aspect of what product are. Because I can explain the both the positives and the negatives of both the the bow spire and the bow hitch, and yeah. you're you're gonna you're gonna. It's like, but I'm gonna ask you. What is your style of hunting? What do you like to do mostly? Like, and how do you carry your bow? And like being penetrative, like a salesman would, building rapport, finding out what they actually do with their bow mm-hmm. during certain scenarios to figure out like, this would make sense based off what you told me, but it's like, if you want to, and if you have the money for it, buy both of them because you're going to be in both, you're going to be in scenarios where both will come into play.
1: Right, right. Have you speaking of kind of crazy things? Have you seen this, this fan I, lock from I, I s- Technologies?
0: I was going to ask you about that because you mentioned it to me, but it's like I'm I, I got so much going on. I, I, it's like I didn't I don't I, I feel bad I, I ignored you, but on top of that too, it's like I'm not going to not oh. I'm not going to not talk to you. So it's like I need to find out more about this because Ben showed I saw him do a video of it yeah, uh, right. with with his um, with his mounts. So I'm gonna right. I'm gonna let you take the mic away and you talk about it.
1: So this is another company, Velvet Antler Technologies. When they first met me, I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm really, I'm from Minnesota. We don't hunt velvet. You know, it's, it's not really a product. It's a Western thing, right? That's, what my thought, that's I, where
0: my thoughts went, too, when you first told me about it. It's yeah. like, well, I don't have velvet.
1: Right, right. So then I looked at their product line, and I'm like, huh, they have this thing for doing euros. It well, kind of fits everyone, right? huh, they've got the stuff that you spray on your clothing and it takes the blood out. Wow, that's kind of cool. All the stains comes right out, right? Huh, they've got this stuff for um your mounts. You spray it on, it kills the bugs and it, clean, it cleans it, but it also kills the bugs and keeps the bugs off. Huh, interesting. And, uh, you know, so I'm like, what are we doing here, guys? Because 90% of all the hunters, you know, are whitetail hunters, they're all west or east of the Missouri. Well, when you say velvet, it shuts everyone down. So I said, let's rebrand this and talk about each product individually because it used to be Velvet Lock, Velvet Scrub, Velvet Clean, Velvet This, Velvet That, and it just it shut everyone's down. So we came up with it, with Trophy Clean for cleaning your mouths, right? That's mm-hmm. a pretty easy thing, and it keeps the bugs off. Uh, Bone Bright for doing euros and a degreaser. Um, You know, we've got hide lock, that's the other cool thing. So you kill an antelope out here, you spray that on the hide and it keeps the stops the slippage so you don't lose your hair on it. And in a heat, you don't have to refrigerate it, you don't have to, it stops the decomposition or you kill a big bull or a bear, you know, spring bear and you spray that on, you're in the back country, you don't have to carry salt up for it. Really cool technology that they've created with just a spray, right? So then they came out, with this called fan lock. So, I mean, how many of us are, are using borax and salt and all this stuff? And, you know, it's just a mess in your garage. And your wife's going, well, really, all this stuff. And really all it does is dries part of it, but it doesn't get rid of the bugs. Well, this fan lock, you know, there's pictures. Of, and, and to be the extreme, they leave meat on it and they leave fat on it to show how well it basically dries all this up. And preserve the feet and not have that smell or not have the bugs into it. And so, really cool. I mean, that's why I'm like behind it because it's cool. But we see, you know, people comment about the fan like, Well, I-
0: all right. So, we cut up for a moment there. So, Dirk, go ahead.
1: Sorry about that. That's life in the rural uh, South Dakota here. The internet just cut out on us. So, true story. Anyway, I was, t- yeah, I was talking about fan lock and about how we rebranded things. And the interesting, the comments about how people are just bashing the product going, well, we always have done this for whatever, but they haven't looked at what, you know, just the new technology. And for the average Joe, I may not be the expert taxidermist to clean it out, right? For 90% of the people to be able to just spray this on, you know, five minutes, they come back for five days and it's, you know, great. And it works for everyone um, without bugs without, and it smells decent um and it works a great application if you're not worried about taking everything off like how many do you use a real tail on your turkey decoys
0: no i i'm not turkey hunting this year so i never heard of that product
1: oh no so so for you know for if you've got a a turkey decoy and you can use a real fan on it it's so much nicer more authentic right but if you've got all that meat on it that stinks or you know cleaning up or even borax is so messy for the average guy who just wants to do that you can spray this on it and it smells good to kill the bugs and you've got a great fan all year or even two years without that smell and the stink and the bugs and stuff like that so anyway so that's kind of i'm off track a little bit but that's kind of being able to talk about fan lock and velvet antler technologies about branding and teaching people about stuff that you you know the name velvet antler technologies just puts us off because most of us don't think about velvet so
0: Correct, yeah, because your first immediate thought is your 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 memory is going to go to velvet antlers or something. Right. So, but you when when as the hunter like you, myself, like what we just discussed, I'm not going to unless I get an opportunity to go out to Kentucky to go hunting out there to go for potentially going after one that still has velvet or all the way up in was it south was it North Dakota or South Dakota has a velvet season?
1: Um, both. Both do. Both. Okay. So yeah. But I'd say yeah, September one we got velvet bucks here.
0: Okay, that that's, that helps answer that we'll question. Add
1: little ad <laughs> <laughs> little little ad for
0: hell's canyon here <laughs> for for booking right. for this upcoming uh, season yeah. so that's yeah, pretty
1: actually, yeah
0: so now did now when did they reach out to you to begin working together to collaborate or did you reach out to them about uh providing them some feedback
1: you know it's again it's it's about having all these friends in the industry so brad clemens is a friend of mine he shoots silent night for us you know he introduced me to Scree gear Brad is, I mean, he kills just monster animals all over the United States, uh, from Alaska to Mexico and stuff like that. So he introduced me to Scree Gear, the guys there, and said, hey, you should talk to Dirk about this stuff. And then he, he met Velvet Antler Technologies out in Idaho, at, out of the show, and said, hey, I this buddy of mine helps and, and gets brands going and, and, you know, helps with some of the marketing as well as some of the staple side. And so that's how we connected, and then Daryl came out here and hunted, and, and uh, yeah, it goes from there. So yeah, interesting small world. It is.
0: It is very small, but it's nice to see some innovation for it. Because I went down to I went to the open season here in the Dells, and it's like I felt yep. like it was a a farm implement sale because that's all they had there. At least with right. and even with Iowa, they had some new products there, but there wasn't a right. whole lot of innovation. It's like I, I I missed that when when Wisconsin had the the deer and turkey expo de- in Madison. There was years every year, year after year, I'd go there and it's like there's always new products coming there, and there's old faces coming back. There's the ones that have been out for a couple years keep coming back and there's new products out there. That's I don't know what's necessarily if like if people are being a little bit more cautious about how they're trying to produce bring something to market or is it just becoming more erratic because of supply chain issues?
1: Some with supply chains, but after doing this thirty years, you know, we used to do the Iowa Deer Classic and I remember with twisted timber tree stands, you know, we'd have. I'd get up in a tree up in the middle of it. And I have two big guys that would be volunteers and we'd stop the aisle. And I basically do a sermon about twisted timber tree stands and shake it and see, show it a crooked tree, you know, and people would come up and they would buy like, you had buy tree stands right there on the spot. And now a lot of these shows are about 10 o'clock. People are drinking beer. It's tire kickers. They're, they're bringing the whole family out, but, I mean, you think about it, if it's $20 to get in the show and you got your wife and kids for $10 a piece, you got two or three kids and you're buying, getting $5 waters and stuff, it's so expensive that the money that they were going to spend for hunting products has gone. And so a lot of these shows, you're not doing sales like you used to. So the return on investment shows the booth space is going up, hotels are going up, travel is going up. So a lot of the brands just don't go to those shows anymore because the sales aren't there. And um, it, it's a shame because culturally that was, I mean, that's how I got in the industry. I love those shows. I love doing the shows, you know, but when the sales aren't there and it's turned into, you know, Scentsy and candles and stuff, it, it just takes the, takes the steam right audio.
0: Yeah, I know what you mean about that. There's a lot of foo-foo stuff in their tchotchke item that they're selling. it's like, it's, it's, I get your, what you're, you you're a business person. You want to take advantage of the, of the amount of crowd, the big crowd that's going to be there. But mm-hmm. it's like, we want to, we want more things focused towards the, the how, hunting outdoor world. You know, how will this make my, my set more comfortable or stuff like that? Like, I remember that's how I got, I met, um, Slumper Seats. Uh, mm-hmm. Rick, he makes I, like I've served several of his products because they're wet, water wicking. They're very quiet, they're extremely comfortable, mm-hmm. and uh, he doesn't even show up to any of them. But he does. He's no. been in the business long enough that he's able to uh, have the income coming in, so he doesn't have to do these shows anymore. But it'd be nice to be able to see him there again, so this way people would buy his products because so they're not that they're not that expensive. They're like 30, 40 mm-hmm. bucks, sometimes up right. to seventy, depending on the design you're looking for. But they were all all have great testimonies on why you'd want to buy the product because they're comfortable. However, there's been some several long day sets and you're setting on a three inch foam. That is, right. it, it just makes a world of difference.
1: Well, for the marketing side, think about it for a brand, uh, for what they spend. So if you go to a, like the Iowa deer classic, it's two or three grand for the booth. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got hotels, you got food, you know, in the evening, then you got the travel for it and um, think about what you can do on social media these days. So the Iowa your class, maybe 25, 30,000 people at the Iowa your class. Well, if you're good and you do post, you can reach 40,000 people. But that 40,000 people at the Iowa show, how many of those people walk by your booth and you never engage them at all? They just walk by. How many people do you actually physically put the product in their hand, mm-hmm. right? And they ask you about the price or stuff like that. So you know, when you really get down to it, what you could do for either a paid ad or organic, really putting it in people's hands on social when their their phone is right there is so much more efficient. Because again, the stats are in order to have someone actually click through to buy, today's world, you're you're actually researching or customers are researching six or seven times you're reaching out and trying to engage with that brand before they make a purchase. You know, so. So nothing is really on the spot immediately. And there's so many shows before there weren't that many shows. So you went to them because that was the place to go to buy new stuff. And now there's just so many.
0: That is a good point here in the Midwest. We got the, the big four. We got the Minnesota. You got Iowa. You got the Wisconsin. Well, I won't even call Wisconsin a big one anymore. Mm-hmm. Then, you, then you have Illinois, uh, Illinois and their Peoria and such, but that's four of yeah. them. It's it's like, Randy, you're you're going to be getting those, uh, those people that are gonna be local to those states, but you're not gonna be pulling people from Iowa to go to Illinois or Wisconsin to go down to Illinois. And at least with Minneapolis, it's like you have a little bit more of an opportunity to see not only the products there, but it's Minneapolis. There's so there's something to be done there. Right. But yeah, I see right. your point though. It's like there's scarcity was a was an additional value, and that's why I've been asked a few times too if I was gonna start doing shows, and it's like I just don't see the ROI there because it's like like you would like you just broke down if I'm going to Iowa Deer mm-hmm. Classic, if I was gonna pick one, that would be the one i'd go to and well i could turn that three thousand dollars into an an investment in new new equipment or or doing paid ads or something like that so i don't see the the drive for it
1: well uh, i actually went to the minnesota one this year took my wife down to it and the layout was so different than traditional shows most of the traditional shows it's like you're going to the supermarket right you're going down this aisle come back this aisle that aisle right and you can just sit by the Minnesota one is um, at the casino for one. So you got something else to do and, and, and there's a hotel right there. But the layout of that was kind of cool. There's all these different places and up and down and second layers and, and just different curves and different things. So it engaged, it gave people more spots to where Skip was at gearhead. I mean, that was, a, I was over there with him and we were, was, was like, there's people would go around the curve and there was no one else there except Skip. And so it was just, uh, I don't know. I, I just really liked that. In fact, several of my brands, I'm going to have to go to that Minnesota show next year because oh. it was just laid out so nice as well as then that casino was there. So you had something else to do if you were going to go there in the racetrack or whatever else, you know?
0: Definitely. That's something that I've never, uh, i of it's crossed my mind to go up to that one but uh, i think well, i think we should probably i'll probably end up skipping like, like switch swap out the wisconsin one and just go to uh the minnesota one and, and walk around that one and get the atmosphere on that one but you are right though they do feel same with the iowa and and um, i'm assuming it's probably the same thing with the illinois one you're mm. exactly right you just you just snake through it from from going back and forth and that's it and i think it calls So, with having a different concept for it, but it sounds like Skip had a really good prime real estate because now he's got everybody there to be able to talk to him. Because when he, when Skip was there at the Iowa Deer Classic, he was with everybody. So it's like he really, he he couldn't really have an opportunity for people to shoot a lot of the bows because it's like he's still, he's on a corner. So you have traffic going both directions.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He was just on this curve and it was, it was, he was just the only one there. So you had to go right by him and and engage and stuff. So, It would have been nice for him to have more help. And when we were there, I didn't have a a lot of time. But it was just—I love doing shows, man. It's so fun Mm -hmm. to to get to connect with people. So,
0: get that is that is a good point of that. So, what do you got uh, cooking up next, Derek? For for the uh, any other projects you want to allude to or maybe talk about before it hits market or something like that? Any any anything you want to discuss Uh, that we haven't talked about?
1: Yeah, well, it's (laughs) some things I can talk about. Some things I can't. You know, uh, I there's probably eight brands, nine brands that I'm working with. Um, I'm just adding Wise Eye Trail Cameras. Um, pretty excited about that because, um, you know, Trail Cameras Tack Cam has been king for for a while. You know, with their data plans and and reliability. And I've got several. In fact, I've got, I don't know, I think I've got forty some cameras out here. But the Wise Eye the um, we're talking about how do you find out, or how do brands find out about you? Um, Brian Coons, the buyer from Shields, calls me up and says, "Hey Dirk, you've got to look at these Wise Eye cameras. They need some of your help." <laughs> and so I looked them up, and uh, they have an AI technology to them that, that other camera companies have wanted to buy, and they're 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 not doing it a lot. Of, most cameras really, they China comes to them and says, "Hey, we have these features, okay?" and and I'll say this because I know you like U.S.-made products, and I do too. And most Chinese companies will come to a brand and say, hey, we make this product here, and it has this feature, and we sell it to you for this, right? And and it's really they're making this one, that one, this one, that one, and they're just putting different names on it, right? And, and I worked with a Chinese company for seven years designing tree stands, ground blinds, and ice fishing gears, and I left them in January because I hated that. I hated that. We'd come up with something and they'd sell it under six different names and five different prices. Um, and so this Wise Eye, it's a family business out of Louisiana, and they have people in the family who have actually designed this AI technology that can tell, hey, is this a mule deer buck? Is it a whitetail buck? Is it a coyote? Is it a hog? What is it? And is it the three by five or is it the four by four? And and does tracking and predictability and stuff and really turns into a hunting program for you to help you solve problems instead of just being a trail cam company. And they're all about customer service and and actually teaching people about strategies instead of just buy my camera, buy my camera, buy my camera.
0: Yeah, I'm looking so, at Wise uh, Technology right now on their website and it's it's pretty well organized. It's very good. It's very bright, easy to read along with the patterning and predictability for the two, which is a nice thing to have. And then also with some of the things they work with too, is they tell you the, the, the percentage of the moon temperature right. along with the, the wind too. So that makes if you, so if you have four or five stands, you have trail cams near them, stuff like that, you can utilize their, that feedback to find out like, okay, well, the wind's blowing out of this direction that stands out of the picture.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. And they have a new website coming it's actually gonna be even better yet and step up this thing. So be looking for that and ask questions about it. You know, I, I think as I love customer feedback. So customers ask us about stuff, man. I, I love to get in and just not knock people off. I just wanna say, hey, you know, this is my experience or if I don't know this, I'm gonna to go to the expert that I know, you know, like these, We are you shooting these yet? Which
0: one? No, silent night. No, actually, yeah. I was going to ask you. I was going to talk to you about it because my wife Jeff, is. Yeah,
1: you're fired. We're done. Right. Good night, Jeff.
0: <laughs> no, you're I will. <laughs> no, we're actually, we're we're actually in the process of built uh, is buying the means to actually make our own arrows. Because we've we've oh. been doing my because I have three I have three of us that are shooting yeah, my my wife, right. myself, right. and my daughter. That right. gets expensive. I mean, one right. trip to the to the archery shop cost me like two hundred bucks. And that was just doing right. arrows.
1: Right. 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 Well, you know, the Silent Night is, uh, I ran into him three years ago at the ATA show. And it's a funny story because, you know, I've been doing all these different brands. And they said, I said, where are you from? And they said, Minnesota. I said, no, you're not. Said, if you are, I know about you. I've been doing this 30 years. And they said, no, really, we are. We, we, we're we around 50 years. I said, 50 years? Get out of here. Wow. And said, I even heard of them. Yeah, so I got, it wasn't Silenite, it's Flex Fletch. Oh, Flex okay. Fletch product. So Flex Fletch was the first non-feathered vein on the market in 1970. Okay. They, if they would have been smart, they would have patented it, but they didn't have a good patent attorney. So, um, but what's unique about them, their, pa- their product has really not changed in 50 years. Um, and it's, the Silenite is a three-part polyurethane that's hand-molded with this thermal, rim molding process so all other veins are injection molded with a hdpe plastic so you think about like a milk carton right okay. so if you shoot a milk cart if you bend a milk carton over you're going to get a crease on it you can heat it back up and get it in but you're going to have that weak spot in it. well this process and this plastic actually has zero me- memory or it has i shouldn't say zero it has complete memory so it will come back to shape on its own you can bury it in a target, you know, for a month and leave it out there. You can uh, bury it in your bow case if you're a bow hunter. It comes back to shape on its own. You don't have issues with that. Um, it's lighter. It's profile veins, so it's a much thinner base, um, and it tapers. And you know, the story five years ago, they were because it was molded. If you know anything about molding, there's always a, a release agent, right? So they were using a release agent that you had to really scrub with the acetone to get it off. But once you got it off, super tough, super durable. And people say, oh, I can't get it to stick. Well, they got rid of that mold agent, uh, mold release, about five years ago. And now, I mean, it's a, I, I'm not an expert, but I can get these things to stick on anything with any type of glue. We make our own glue, but I can get it to stick with any glue. And the durability of these things, if you don't like to refletch your veins, you know, asked Ben about it, Kloosman. I mean, he's beat the crap out of these. I, be, I mean, I shoot. I have a saying, if the arrows ain't flying, there ain't no dying, right? So I'm shooting at anything, picking them up, and, and the veins are not beat up. Um, and I could just go as, this, as just average Joe Bullhunter, but when I started getting into it, like Darren Christianberry from Elite Archery, this is all he shoots. Um, Mike Schlosser, the number one male archer in the world, all he shoots. Sarah Lopez, number one woman's archer, the Korean, Korean national team. I'm realizing all these dudes are, and people are shooting these flex products because they want to, and they've been offered money, a lot of big money from other people, but they don't um, because of the, you know, how it works. It's not just the shape, it's, you know, it's material. It's a different process in making it. So so that's a cool thing. And so we have to get you some of those because durability-wise, they don't tear out like the NASP program veins. I mean, I have friends that are instructors for NASP, and they're like, "Oh man, we're refletching arrows all the time," and so we have a NASP-approved vein for for just much more durability on it, you know. So, so that's the kind of thing. Ballistic crossbows is another one. Camex. Um, for some gun hunters, I have a modern Spartan Systems gun oil and lubricant that is tightens your groups, it increases your bullet velocity, and extends your barrel life. It's more of a barrel treatment. It's a non-petroleum-based product. Um, actually, they make an oil additive that improves your gas mileage. I'm using it. Harley-Davidson's doing a bunch of testing. 3M is doing testing with it right now. Um, and uh, so... Cool stuff like that that is just outside the box.
0: That is pretty neat because I have two vehicles too myself, and I just been using Sea Foam for so many years. But it's like right. when you when you I, I've spent last year doing a whole bunch of research on different types of uh, lubricants and cleaners and stuff like that. They all practically do the same, so nothing really stands out amongst them all. But they just v- range from prices from well now with uh, uh, with with everything that's been going on with all any petroleum based products have been right. up three or four dollars just because right. of what because of wall street and so it's like well what's something that is going to be better if i'm spending this kind of money for it
1: right yeah this oil additive you can put it in any oil synthetics you can use it in diesel and stuff like that i'm getting improved gas mileage it takes that tick noise out of my ford i use it in my tractors i use it in my generators my tillers my i mean i it's my wd 40 back in the day (laughs) you know
0: Nice, yeah. Because so, I, so, I have a V eight truck, and it's like you know, I'm I'm yeah. lucky to get 16 miles per gallon. So it's like it'd be right. nice to maybe see that 20 mile hour, 20 mile uh, range per gallon. Because it's like I got a bunch of trips coming up. We got uh, Utah coming up. I have Iowa coming up. So it's like it'd be nice to see some improvement. Now, is this product I, on the market I, yet, or is it still being tested?
1: It, it it is. No, it's on the market. Modern Spartan Systems and the oil additive actually is T V T, under the Modern Spartan Systems brand, the T V T product. But in big diesels, they're are getting an average of an increase of ten ten uh, mile or ten percent increase in gas mileage. So that's I mean, that's big for diesel. That's, right. So that's a huge jump. Um, Andy Elliott, he builds custom uh, Cummins diesel motors up in North Dakota. Here, he swears by it. Um, Charlie Melton is the the uh, guy who trained Chris Kyle, the American sniper shooter, and. And he swears by using that as a barrel treatment and as long range shooting, increasing the velocity and tightening your groups. So, um, so, and it's cool. It's made in America, you know, again, uh, American innovation. Um, they've got a lot of cool products that I can't really talk about, but I'm working with them. Uh, talked <laughs> we we about talked about
0: before I hit record. Yes. I know what you're talking about. That is a pretty cool innovative. So before I hit record. Dirk and I were talking about something that's not even on the market yet, that's in development. And it's when it hits the market, it is going to be, it's going to, it's going to change some stuff around and it's going to provide a lot of people more opportunities. So I'm looking forward to when it does hit the market because some of the, some of the stories that Dirk's told me is like, this is exciting.
1: Well, think about this. If you're a tree stand hunter, imagine if your tree stand were 60% lighter and it were cheaper and it were cheaper to ship. That's a and big it would, win. And it would handle cold weather without creaking
0: that's I, i'm guilty of having my tree stand right. creak and ruining right. a shot because it got right. it was it's just frustrating but on top of the two it's like if you look 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 at trying to get into tether i mean that's a 700 hundred yeah. dollar rig you get into the right. lone wolf those are four or five hundred dollar rig and that's a lot of money considering like
1: you gotta look how about, the, how about the a thousand dollar rig by the time you do the sticks and the stands true that's, that's a, very true 11 12 but you know what they're they're <laughs> or Novak, same thing great great stuff too right but you're paying for quality—that's the best part. Yeah, imagine if it was lighter, if it was a better product. How about a bow riser? Okay, hey, imagine your bow was sixty percent lighter, and it would handle shock even better yet than aluminum. And
0: it's and it's not a carbon fiber where they're charging two thousand dollars for a bow.
1: Right. It, eg- exactly. And it would uh, handle cold temperatures better than carbon. Right. So, so cool stuff. So be watching for that. Um, you can actually, you could try to Google it. It's called polybescar resin, but, um, it's really was developed about six months ago only. So it's some pretty edgy, edgy stuff and I'm working with some pretty big brands to, to bring that to market. So,
0: yeah, as long as, as long as the EPA doesn't become a pain in the ass or meets their standards, like things could be c- so can how ask about quickly, this? quickly.
1: How about this? It's sourced from Montana. Okay. It's re it's recyclable. Right. And it's a, considered a green product.
0: Oh, look at that. You could take that. Your and, it's, pipe and, OOC, it's made, AOC. and it's
1: made in the USA.
0: Ah, that's even better. Like we like those words here.
1: And not sold to any non-NATO com, com, countries.
0: Okay. All right. There we go. You can keep so, us to give us that advantage.
1: Yeah. So, so that's very, I don't know. I just, that's just near and dear to my heart to work with that. So. Beautiful, anyway. man. But, Is there
0: anything we haven't talked about yet?
1: You know, I, for now, I think, you know, obviously, uh, I love the industry. Uh, I'm blessed to be able to meet folks like you and spend time and share camp with guys like this and stuff. In fact, we got to get supper rolling here. But, you know, I, I've been doing that. And then, you know, this ranch, that's a whole nother ball of wax. It kind of just fell on my lap.
0: Oh, yeah. We haven't and... discussed about Hell's Canyon. I mean, we're you're in Hell's Canyon. We got to talk about it.
1: Right, <laughs> right. So, you know, if, if you want to, you can look at com, but it's uh, 20,000 acres here in Northwest South Dakota. And um, we really limit the pressure on it. And um, I don't charge an arm and a leg at all for, for that. Like some people would, I just, again, I kind of interview people and I want good friends out here, the actual owner of the land. I own the hunting operation, the owner of the land said, Dirk, you know, I'm not worried about the money, just bring out good people and let's have a good time. And so that's more than anything that has. And Skip from Gearhead has been out here. Joel has been out here. Brent wants to come out here. Um, the guys from Analogix have been out here. Um, um, actually, uh, Paul Marion from Wildlife Research has been out here. So it's, yeah, the guys from Scree want to come. On. So it's it's uh, really cool for a guy, again, who hasn't been to Guiding and Outfitters to have these people like Joel or Skip who've been able to hunt all over the place say I want to come back here. It, it's pretty humbling.
0: Yeah, because I was because you, uh, I was looking at some of your prices of like, and I was looking uh, as a comparison. I went on to ba- to Bass Pro or Cabela's and some of their like, if you get part of the club member, you can you can get into to some like like an right. angle punch or something. Like that. They're charging like 4,500 bucks for it. I mean, that's a lot. Of, it's it's a lot of money right there for one trip, especially if you're unsuccessful. Right. I mean, that's that's a very sore ride home.
1: <laughs> right. right, And, you know, like today, we, the wind was blowing like crazy. The turkeys were hard. They weren't cobbling. We actually went out and put blinds down in a draw so that we'll get them on tomorrow in a roost. But we took them out fishing we went up looking for Indian artifacts. We took four wheeling. So it's really a whole big, you know what, if the critters aren't moving, we're going to find other fun stuff to do in the meantime.
0: Definitely. That's a way to really do it. I was talking to an outfitter that I ran to uh, last year at the in the Dells. He was there again this year. And he was talking like when you go up there, he has a bear camp up there and he hasn't, yeah. he said he hadn't raised his prices in 30 years. and It's like he charged like 3,500 right. 3, bucks for a, for a bow. Right archery only black bear tag but it's right. like while you're there we're gonna take you out pike fishing we're gonna go out and catch a right. of walleye so you're going to get a a, a really good value for it. the only downside it's in canada so you have to get jabbed to get across that border right. it's like isn't right. that something you got to be a prisoner of your own country to go to another country
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh, man it's so oh.
0: frustrating but anyways man dirk this is we can still talk some more because we, we, we still haven't talked about food yet but i'm hungry you're hungry dude <laughs> hey, it was what? a pleasure
1: you betcha well sounds good yeah i've got to get the fajitas going and the grill going but uh let's do this again and again we should probably you got to hit get my hit list of things and we we should probably get together and, and talk about some of these other brands and i love to bring them on to talk about the brands there's my dad in the background hey dad yeah. say hi
0: hello sir
1: <laughs> so yep <laughs>
0: So So what we could do is we can uh, meet up offline and maybe we can come on down to Brent or we go over Skip. He's opening up his new uh, uh, location there. He invited me out here sometime. I'm not sure if it's going to be done by the end of April or May, but if you have an opportunity to drive down and and hang out with him and we can record a podcast there, checking out his new location.
1: Yep. No, that sounds great.
0: Fantastic. You enjoy the rest of your day.
1: You betcha. We'll see ya. Thank you. Mm, Bye now. Bye. (laughs)